From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome back to Total SF, Heather Knight. Hello, it's good to be here, again in my house. Yeah, good to see you again in your house. We will podcast in person someday. Um, But super excited for this episode because we are welcoming Norton I, Emperor of the United States, Protector of Mexico, Maker of Proclamations, (laughs) ahead of his time. Welcome to Total SF, Emperor Norton. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, first question for you, Emperor. We are journalists for the San Francisco Chronicle. Are you a reader? Yes, I read the Chronicle. I read all the newspapers. It's my duty as Emperor. And there are many newspapers. (laughs) There are five newspapers in the city, maybe even six when I was originally roaming the streets. But now there's only two and only one daily, and that's your Chronicle. (laughs) The best of the best. Well, thinking back to when you did walk the streets as the emperor, your origin story began with a fateful visit to another San Francisco newspaper when you approached the editor-in-chief and told him something quite remarkable. So can you walk us through that story? Yes, I remember the day well. It was September 17, 1859, I walked into the offices of the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin newspaper and handed their editor, George Fitch, a proclamation declaring myself Emperor of the United States. And everybody went with it, right? Immediately, San Francisco embraced you. And treated me as if I were their emperor, which is good because I was. Peter, what do you think would happen if somebody walked into the um, Chronicle office at 901 Mission Street, marched into our new editor-in-chief's office, Emilio Garcia Ruiz, and announced that he was the emperor of San Francisco? (laughs) Well, first of all, I don't think they would get past our security, um, our many layers of security at 901 Mission, where you can't do that kind of thing. But if they did, I would hope that this person would be greeted with humor and positivity, and um, I I would just hope that the San Francisco of 2020 has a little bit of the San Francisco of the 1800s that embraced this individual and made the legend of Emperor Norton a fun thing for the city that we're still talking about today. That's what I'd hope, Heather. What do you think? I I think you're right. I mean, we did embrace um, the fog being Carl, so you never know. Well, Emperor Norton, um, we're going to talk to a gentleman named Joseph Amster first. He runs Emperor Norton's fantastic San Francisco time machine. That's EmperorNortonTour.com. I'm guessing you two must run into each other sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're not in the same place at the same time, generally, but I've heard wonderful, (laughs) wonderful things about him. And you you look basically like identical twins. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, some say, but although some say I'm um, Aaron Peskin's identical twin. <laughs> you do look like Aaron Peskin, but he is not on the podcast today. This is going to be a really weird episode. <laughs> um, Listeners, you fun. just have to go with it. Go with it. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight and Emperor Norton. Joseph Amster coming up. <laughs> this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. 
Hello and welcome, Joseph Amster, proprietor of EmperorNortonTour.com. And uh, tell me first of all about that. You have a website, you have a, um, uh, a business, and you are Emperor Norton. Indeed. So I started this uh, business, my husband and I actually, we have an umbrella company called Time Machine Tours, and that's mm-hmm. the Emperor Norton Tour. San Francisco Food Safari, which is a food tour I do as Chef Joseph. And then he also does a tour as the Countess Lola Montez, another San Francisco eccentric, uh, called Drag Me Along Tours. And he does it completely in drag. And so you will see him on the weekend editions of the, of the vlog. So this started about uh, 10 years ago. We took a tour and decided we would do ones of our own, but we wanted to do something different, drawing on our backgrounds as performers. And uh, I launched Emperor Norton's tour, Emperor Norton's Fantastic San Francisco Time Machine uh, in July of 2011. He launched Drag Me Along tours about a year later. And I think San Francisco Food Safari started up right after that. But since taking to the streets as the emperor, everybody's just accepted me as that. Mm-hmm. And it's been wonderful. What, what came first? Was it an interest in acting or an interest in history in terms of your interest in the emperor? Well, definitely uh, in terms of interest in the emperor, probably interest in history. But my, my theatrical background goes back to about the age of 13. When did you first learn about Emperor Norton and what did you like about the character? Well, when I was uh, here in 1974, going to San Francisco State University as a theater major, I lived in the uh, long-gone Verducci Hall. And I don't know how it is today, but back then, the food at San Francisco State, if you lived in the dorms, was inedible. <laughs> That's usually <laughs> the way it is at college dorms. Well, but because of the subway construction, they were constructing uh, Barton Muni at that point. The M train was not running the state. The only bus was the 72. So we were kind of isolated out there. And there was no place else to eat. So we were kind of at their mercy. And so we ate out of the vending machines in the dorms. And there in the vending machines was a product called Emperor Norton's Sourdough Snacks. (laughs) Really? And so that's how I was first introduced to the emperor was through those, which don't exist anymore, unfortunately. And uh, then didn't know much about him except that he was an eccentric and that he apparently made these sourdough snacks. (laughs) So uh, when we first started talking about doing tours, knew I wanted to do it as a character, I was originally going to be Mark Twain. I kind of looked like him, but not that much. But he wasn't here that long. Decided I should look for another character. Was reading a wonderful biography of the emperor. And as I was reading it, it was almost like a bolt of lightning struck me and said, this is who you should be. Hmm. Does, and I haven't regretted it one moment. Does that make it harder, being the emperor, as opposed to like a Mark Twain where everybody sees you and they know who you are? You're someone who, um, in great deal because of you, I think a lot of even young people know who Emperor Norton is who are in San Francisco. But I'm betting mm-hmm. people from out of town, it's not as common of a character. No, no, definitely not. And so it gives me a chance to educate, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful, and engage people, which I love doing, and just let them know about the history and and about this wonderful person who lived here and did so much. Um, One of the favorite things that was ever written about me, and I think it sort of sums up the type of people I run into, uh, 
was a, a TripAdvisor review, and one of them said that it was interesting to walk right behind me to see people either acknowledge me or look away in horror. <laughs> well, I- and that's really stuck with me. So, yeah, about a third of the people know who I am and a third don't, and then the rest just ask. <laughs> I got to walk with Joseph the other day in his full regalia, and so many people knew who he was. He was, like, superstar, famous downtown with people leaning out their windows and commenting. I, I felt like a total nobody next to this big celebrity. <laughs> and that's quite common, even when I was doing the tour more, but that particular day was a bit overwhelming because most of these people have not seen me in six months. Yeah, they were very excited uh, to see again. I, I feel like Emperor Norton, I, I started digging around in the Chronicle Archive in 2007, and that became part of my job. I don't remember if in 2007, if you had asked me who Emperor Norton was, um, if I could have given even a full description. But mm-hmm. I meet young people now, you know, I go to the guac off. And when I say young people, I'm, I'm 50. But, you know, I, I meet people in their 20s and 30s who have adopted San Francisco, and they know about Emperor Norton. What have you noticed? I mean, being this character for 10 years, what have you noticed about kind of the pathway of Emperor Norton and sort of a reemergence in the city? Well, what we've, we looked at this actually by looking at, at Google Analytics on searches for Emperor Norton, and it tends to ebb and flow as it has over the decades. So if you look, of course, you can't look at Google searches going back to the 1950s, but because of the Chronicle's uh, Emperor Norton treasure hunt, uh, there was a lot of interest suddenly. And then it sort of went away for a while until 1980 when there was a lot of activity around the centennial of Emperor Norton's death. And Mayor Feinstein issued a proclamation. There were all sorts of ceremonies. So then we had more interest. And then it kind of went down for a while. And then right around the time that I started doing the tour and other people started picking up doing things about the emperor, we've seen it just rise and rise and rise ever since. And that's great. Yeah. Do you think do you think social media is a part of that? I mean, Emperor Norton's such this old school character and old school concept but I see Emperor Norton mentioned on social media. And what, do you, what kind of role do you think that might have played? Oh, I think it's, it's played a tremendous role, not just for me personally, because I, I really leverage my social media, but just in general, especially for disseminating the information about the emperor. There's some very good researchers out there who post information. I, of course, post a lot of pictures, a lot of history myself. And then that all goes viral and more people learn about it. But also here in San Francisco, don't forget, we have a number of businesses that were named after the emperor. So that, I think, has helped as well. Uh, Somebody might wander into Emperor Norton's booze land not knowing who he is and get a whole education right in there. (laughs) I want to go to Emperor Norton's booze land. Yeah, why haven't we been there? I know. That's going to be on our to-do list after the pandemic. I dedicated it. Wow. Of of course. Of course you did. (laughs) So what are the hardest and easiest parts of being the emperor? I would say the easiest part is just interacting with people uh, in character. Uh, It comes naturally to me because of my acting background. And that's just, it's not only, it's not only easy, it's gratifying. So just talking about him is, is, is probably the most gratifying thing. Probably the hardest thing is wearing this uniform on a hot (laughs) summer day. Yeah. It's about 10 pounds of wool. And this is 
what he wore. This is the same jacket, not the jacket, but the same style of jacket that he wore. Mm-hmm. So that's that's hard. And if it gets above 80 degrees, I do the tour in shirt sleeves. But <laughs> I think that's probably the hardest thing. And in the beginning, getting used to doing all that walking. Yeah. Because I walk about getting from, you know, here, downtown, everything, I'm walking to the bus stop. It's about three miles, and I used to do the tour twice a day. Wow. So we're talking about six miles by the time I was done, which my doctor was very happy about. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, uh, many people have struggled economically during the pandemic, and independent tour guides have been no exception. Um, And I talked with you and some of your colleagues um, recently about that phenomenon because tourists just aren't coming and locals aren't going out as much as they used to. So um, you and some other independent tour guides formed a collective to try to help each other out. So can you talk to me about what the past six months have been like and some ideas you've had to to adjust? Well, it's been difficult. It's definitely been difficult, uh, aside from the, the boredom factor. And I'll talk a little bit later about what I did to alleviate that. But just suddenly, you know, working like crazy one day, six days a week, and then nothing. And that's been hard. I miss it tremendously. I miss seeing the people. I miss being out in the city, which has been my dream since I was a little kid, to be out in the city and be, you know, somebody in the city. And to have that suddenly taken away was very difficult. And then, of course, there's the whole income factor. Um, I was lucky because I, in addition to doing three days a week as the emperor or as Chef Joseph, I was working three days a week for one of those double-deck bus companies. And so that gave me a consistent income, which was great, and luckily got me unemployment benefits. But when you're self-employed, you can't collect for both. You can collect for one or the other. Mm. And so I saw my income go way down. With the When Congress passed the extra $600 a week, it was great. And then when that went away on July 31st, it's been a real struggle the last couple of months. Really had to do a lot of belt tightening. And now the extra 300 a week's kicked in. We're hoping that Congress will get their act together and do another uh, you know, stimulus check and at least some sort of ongoing additional benefit. But now that we're actually legally able to reopen, so we'll, I'll start doing that again. But as far as going back to the bus company, that won't be till sometime next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they're ex- running, but they're running. Uh, they're not running with tour guides. Oh, okay. When do you expect tourists to come back to the city? Well, it's a, it, what we've discussed in the group is it's going to be sort of three tiers of tourists. We're starting to see locals come back now. And about a third to a half of my business has always been locals. So that's great. Then we see people from across the country coming in. That'll probably be, I think, after the holidays. And then as we get more toward next summer, if everything goes great, then I think we'll start seeing the international tourists again. Mm -hmm. So you said you'd tell us how you alleviate your boredom. Well, I started doing about three days in of sitting around feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) I decided to do a history vlog. Oh, cool. And um, it started off as just me addressing my loyal subjects as the emperor, telling them to, you know, hints to say safe how to avoid catching COVID, um, to be kind to one another. I still say that at the end of every vlog. So that first one was kind of a little bit of a rant, just a message to my subjects. The second one, we did a tour of, uh, as we like to refer to it, the Imperial Gardens out back. Mm -hmm. 
and then I started doing the format of this day in history. So I, um, excuse me, I've got a couple of cats running around. Get out of here! Uh, <laughs> I start with, um, let's see. I should have a script in front of me so I could do this right. I, I got to ask you with, while you're uh, looking, what are yes. the cats' names? Uh, there is George and Gracie <laughs> and Kafka and Patches. <laughs> and they're just... They don't, Kafka's a very... Here, let me see if I can grab him. Ah, gotcha. This is Kafka. He's a Aww. very mischievous black cat. Very mischievous. Aww. He's a little devil. I have to ask, are George and Gracie named after Burns and Allen or after the yes. whales in Star Trek IV? Uh, no, after, after Burns and Allen. <laughs> that and is after the most Peter Gracie question Allen was, ever. Gracie Allen was a native San Franciscan. Oh, i got to look into that history. Born and raised in the Richmond District, yeah. Wow. So I'm sorry, you were so, saying you were... So the vlog starts off with um, National Days. Uh, whatever the national day is, like National Peanut Butter and Jelly Sandwich Day or something like that. And then I do a Florida Man segment, This Date in Florida Man, which is always entertaining. <laughs> and then I move into um, a San Francisco story of that particular day. And I usually use John Ralston's book, This Date in San Francisco, as my source material for that. Great book. And then I move into other events for that day, and then births on the day and deaths on the day. And then I end with a pertinent quote hmm. from somebody. That's very creative. It's been fun. I, I, do it, I do it four days a week, just me, and then on the weekends is the Countess's show. And uh, she tells jokes and sings and does one story in depth about San Francisco. And... Probably pretty soon I'm going to move to a once-a-week format for myself. Probably on Wednesdays it'll be in what we do, what I'm doing now, but just longer mm -hmm. and more in-depth mm -hmm. on the San Francisco story. And it'll also be a podcast then as well. Oh, cool. We're going to have competition, Peter. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, are you thinking of the future, and do you feel like people are going to come back, people are going to want the history that... that things in, in your world and your industry can get back to normal? I certainly hope so, and I think it will. You know, who's got a crystal ball to be able to tell? But uh, I think down the line, we're going to see some sort of return to normalcy, but maybe with some restrictions, like continuing to wear masks and not going into inside spaces and limiting the numbers of groups and, and enforcing social distancing. I mean, I, I, could, I could do tours under those circumstances now, and I think those circumstances will be with us for quite a while. I, I'm hoping people being taken away from, to a large degree, San Francisco. I live in Alameda, so I don't get to mm -hmm. San Francisco often. And, and uh, people who live in San Francisco and maybe have been mostly confined to their neighborhoods, I hope they just come back with a thirst, you know. And, oh, I and, think people are dying to do it. Yeah, and, and to just words, but. <laughs> yeah, bad. learn about their history, learn about um, their neighbors, uh, be around each other. I'm, I'm just hoping mm -hmm. that's what happens. And I, I know, and this I know city has so much history. I, you, I learn new things every single day, and that's one of the things I love about being a San Francisco historian is I'm always learning. Yeah, there's no end to great stories about our history. 
This is true. Well, Joseph, thank you very much for joining us. And The Emperor is coming up next. We'll be right back after this short break. Emperor Norton, welcome back. And I have to ask you, do you miss being around the people of San Francisco? Oh, absolutely. You know, I adore my loyal subjects and especially encourage their adulation. So to have been deprived of that for the last six months has been oh, truly painful. So you've been alive 202 years. How are you able to remain so upbeat? Well, I just don't know any other way to be. And I always believe in the best in people and that no matter what life throws at you, you get through it. Very sage words today, especially now. What do you love most about San Francisco? Oh, that's a very, very long list. But I think at the <laughs> top of the list would be its beauty mm-hmm. and the people. The people here are wonderful. I've never met the more warm, friendly people in my life. And how could you go wrong with that? Being around wonderful Aww. people all day who love their city. Has that changed over the years? Do you think the people of 2020 have anything in common with the people of the 1800s? Oh, absolutely. The gold rush. We're in another one right now. The tech boom. It's just another gold rush. And this city's seen so many of them. The silver boom, the rise of the financial district, and now the rise of South of Market. World War II brought so much here. We are a boom city, and we always will be. What's a, what's a story of San Francisco that you like to tell? Maybe it might come up on your tour that people don't talk about, but they should. Just a, a piece of history or something about San Francisco that you like to share that surprises even the locals. Probably something that we lost on the tour, unfortunately, or hoping to get back. And that is the existence of an actual remnant of a Shanghai tunnel. It was the highlight of the tour. Um, we kind of kept it quiet, not letting a lot of people know about it. But unfortunately, the building where it was, the business that was occupying it, went out of business. And so we have no access to the building. But we're trying to search down a couple of other possible uh, remnants of Shanghai tunnels. And I think that is something that always took people by surprise, even lo- fourth or fifth generation locals. Shanghai tunnel, give me a, a description. I, I think I know what it is. So but. that was in the uh, gold rush times. So we had all those ships abandoned out in the Yerba Buena Cove, about 500 of them. And the ship's captains were desperate to get the ships out and make them seaworthy again and able to use for commerce. But all of their crews had taken off for the gold fields because they all had gold fever. And they sometimes took the sails with them to make tents. Well, you can get sails, but where are you going to get crew members? So that's when a ship's captain would mm-hmm. seek out a certain sort of criminal on the Barbary Coast known as a crimp. Crimps knew certain bartenders in certain bars in the Barbary Coast. He'd look around for somebody to make a good crew member and get the bartender to serve him a special drink laced with opium and barbiturates. They would pass out fall through a trap door in the basement, and then get carried out through this network of secret tunnels down the waterfront, placed on a ship. They wake up hours later, discover they're miles out to sea, have been sold into slavery as crew for the ship, and where are they headed? 
Shanghai, China, our main trading partner from the West Coast. That's where the term to be Shanghai comes from. And there it is. And there's, there's some documentation of the tunnels. Uh, not a lot. There's no maps, of course. But if you ever take a look at the book, The Barbary Plague, uh, the author of that book talks about how the tunnels were used at the turn of the century to get people out of Chinatown who were dying of the plague and they didn't want anybody to see it, to know that there was a plague going on. They used the tunnels to get the people down the waterfront to bury them at sea. So San Francisco, I asked you about change. What about just physically, the architecture? How much of San Francisco is still here from even before the earthquake? Uh, Emperor, when you're out on a tour, how, much, how many of the things that you're showing people are things that were there before? A surprising number, and that's one of my big areas of research, is buildings that survived the earthquake and fire and are still here. Like right around Lotus Fountain, you've got the Mills Building, you've got the Call Building, the Mutual Bank Building, and the De Young Building, former home of the Chronicle. Those are all earthquake survivors. Uh, the Mills Building, the Financial District, you can still see burn marks on there from 1906. The Old Mint. There's I've identified about 20 to 30 buildings that are still here that are pre-earthquake. But our architecture's changed tremendously since I got here. Uh, we started off as a tent city. Then we had old ships that were turned into things like warehouses and houses, saloons, things like that. Then they started building actual residences, and that's kind of the rise of the Victorian style that we're so familiar with now, kind of the architectural style of San Francisco. But now we have all those modern buildings downtown as well. And, of course, the Sunset District... Richmond districts didn't even exist in my time. So you got all those houses that were built in the 1940s that don't look anything like they would have in my day. You said burn marks. There are buildings with burn marks on them. Yes, you can see. Okay, if you walk out the Chronicle office and look at the old mint, the wall that's facing the Chronicle, you will notice that the stones on that side of the building are rougher than anywhere else on the building, and that's because of the intense fire made the granite layers pop off. Wow. Wow. Um, there was the owner of Sam's Tavern, Sam's Grill expanded recently to Sam's Tavern. When he was doing the renovation of the building, he found a wall with burn marks all over it, and it was from the 1906 earthquake and fire, and he's left it exposed. It was covered up for decades. Heather, when the... Um Tours are back. Let's do a let's do a total SF yes. Emperor Norton tour because I I'm realizing now that I thought I knew <laughs> a lot of things, but I have a lot to learn. I did an abbreviated version the other day, and I learned a lot. So yes, it's fascinating. Well, on that note, I think it's time for our famous lightning round, and I want you, Emperor, to answer these questions as if it is the time of the gold rush. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a hangtown fry? Oh, well, that would have to be uh, the Tadich Grill. <laughs> what is your favorite San Francisco brothel? Oh, we won't talk about that. No, we're, we're a very moral <laughs> man. We do not frequent the brothels. Uh, there is a place, though, in, in Chinatown that, uh, well, no, I, I shouldn't even talk about that. Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Emperor Norton's Booze Land, where else? <laughs> I don't have to pay. <laughs> How many pairs of Levi's do you own? 
Six. (laughs) (laughs) How should a proper person greet you? Your Imperial Majesty or Emperor. Although if you are familiar with me and I consider you a friend, you are allowed to call me simply Emp. (laughs) (laughs) And should they bow, curtsy? Absolutely. That is required to bow and curtsy. Wow. What is your... What is your favorite San Francisco newspaper? There's only one right answer. The Chronicle, of course. (laughs) Especially when Travels with Farley was running because we were a recurring character in the comic strip. (laughs) Nice. Uh, R.I.P. Phil Frank. Now, I'm speaking to you as if it's the Gold Rush Times, and I would like some predictions for a random year in the future that I will just pull out of the hat now. Let's go with 2020. What do you think is going to happen? I think that we are going to get through this with more difficulty and hopefully emerge in 2021 better. Love it. Lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? A little time for myself to center. (laughs) Well, it was so fun to have you on the podcast, Emperor. EmperorNortonTours.com. No, I'm sorry, EmperorNortonTour.com. That's Emperor Norton's fantastic San Francisco time machine. Correct. And we will see you back on the street hopefully soon. Very soon, hopefully. Thank you very much for having me with you today. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight and our guests, Joseph Amster, a.k.a. Emperor Norton, Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.